something amazing has happened. And what's amazing is what we already knew could happen. And that is the kids and the parents have been at this now long enough that they've begun to see, hey, wait a minute. My kid is doing some pretty creative things. I didn't realize that he or she could do that. And wow, they're really interested in this and they're just spending a lot of time learning and they're really, really good at it. And gee, they're doing a lot of reading and, and so on and so on. And so more and more parents that have experienced this are number one, thinking, well, I don't want to just put my kid back or they may not even send their kid back. Number two, if they do, they want the school to take a different approach. They want them to take a more learner-centered approach, working on building on their students' interests. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast, where we learn to embrace your child's brilliance and unleash their full potential. Today, we have Jerry Mintz. Jerry has been a leading voice in the alternative school movement for over 30 years. In addition to his 17 years as a public and independent alternative school principal and teacher, he has also helped found more than 100 public and private alternative schools and organizations. He has lectured and consulted in more than 25 countries around the world. In 1989, he founded the Alternative Education Resource Organization and since then has served as its director. Jerry was the first executive director of the National Coalition of Alternative Community Schools and was a founding member of the International Democratic Educational Conference. In addition to several appearances on national radio and TV shows, Jerry's essays, commentaries, and reviews have appeared in numerous newspapers, journals, and magazines, including the New York Times, Newsday, Passive Learning, Green Money Journal, Communities, and Saturday Review, Holistic Education Review, as well as the anthology Creating Learning Communities. Hello, Jerry, and welcome to the show today. Hi, Phil. (laughs) It's great to have you. Uh, We've got some interesting times going on here um so let's i let's um talk first i'd like to get your some of your opinions on public school um just so to set set kind of a groundwork here um what 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 do you think are the fundamental issues with the public education system today well i think that the main problem is it's quite out of date in terms of what people now know about how kids learn and uh, modern brain research. You see, um, there are kind of two basic paradigms about learning. Uh, There's the one that most schools seem to be using now, which is the kids are naturally lazy and need to be forced to learn. Uh, and then therefore, somebody has all the answers for them, they need to force them to remember those things and regurgitate them, 
and then they'll be set for life. Well, this paradigm might have worked 100 years ago. I think it might have, but it is not, not working in the new millennium for sure. Uh, the paradigm that our schools, alternative schools, learner-centered schools use is that children are natural learners uh, and don't need to be forced to learn. And educators need to basically build on that natural interest. And not only that, but if you force them to learn things they're not interested in, you will tend to extinguish that natural ability to learn. And then it becomes self-fulfilling. After seven or eight years, then they do need to be motivated or where they've lost a lot of that original interest. And think about it. We're taking kids who just learned how to speak a language or two themselves without classes, without school, learned how to walk or run. And we're now telling them from now on, you learn that way on your own, but from now on, you have to listen to us in order to learn anything. Yeah. Not only that, you have to sit quietly in a classroom and not say anything, not come up really with many of your own ideas and so on. So that is the difference. There's two very different paradigms. Yeah, there, you don't have to convince me that, that kids are natural learners. I mean, it, that's, that's just blatantly obvious. Um, so, and, and, and I can see sometimes, I, I can see issues where school is stifling that natural learning about, and of course you mentioned, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a desk, it's really detrimental since we learn through our bodies a lot. Um, let's talk about specifics about like, I know you've mentioned, uh, I, I've heard you mention that, that grades are, are not grading and testing. Why, why is that an issue? Well, this is an extension of the same thing I just talked about. Mm -hmm. If you believe that kids are natural learners, you do not want to motivate them externally to do things that they don't necessarily want to do just because of getting good grades or, uh, or praise for that matter. You know, uh, not only that, but you don't want to give them homework because if it's something they were going to do on their own at home, you wouldn't have to assign it to them. Sure. <laughs> uh, so, so those things don't relate to that second paradigm. So how, how would you, if there are no grades, how would you gauge progress? Uh, well, you know, I think you can do evaluations. Okay. Uh, the teacher can work with the student and talk about, well, what did they do and what do they think about it and what does the teacher think about it and all that sort of thing. So that's fine. Letter grades mean practically nothing, don't they? Uh, and uh, in no detail. Um, so, so, but you see this, it goes kind of beyond that. Okay. Because for example, when you walk into a library, um, you have some purpose, you're a learner sure, you sure. Go, and, and you go and do whatever you want to do when you go in there, uh, look for whatever you want, try to get the information you want, take a book out, whatever. And not only that, but, but you can leave whenever you want. You don't need permission. Uh -huh. And nobody get, gets to evaluate you on the way out. Right. <laughs> right. So the whole point, you see, is that 
to what extent do people have the right even to evaluate these people as learners? Sure, sure, but but when you're talking about you know when when you need to measure a certain level of proficiency, say you know say somebody that is going to be a doctor and they need to have the qualify qualifications of being a doctor, how would you measure that they are at that goal or are moving towards that goal? See, you're, you're jumping way far ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm just I'm trying to understand. What I mean is you've just jumped to about 10 different levels of school before you get to doctor. We're okay. talking about kids learning in, you know, when they're, when they're children, when they're young adults and so on. So, so then define it. Is this not, is this adequate for a, a certain age group then? Is that what, what, I, what I'm saying is if someone decides they want to become a doctor, mm-hmm. they've made a choice about something that they want. They want to do it in a very disciplined way. That's okay. a choice. They've chosen to do that. Um, but when we're talking about general education, uh, they're going to pursue what they're interested in and so on. Uh, if I decide specifically that I want, well, I mean, I have people that I've taught table tennis to. Mm-hmm. And it's in a fairly structured way. They want to become good players. So that's fine when you've made that choice. But the key is the choice. See, okay. you, the kids in the schools, the way we have them today, are they're a captive audience, uh-huh. you see, and they shouldn't be. They should be able to decide to learn what they want. They should even be able to decide whether they want to go there or not. And of course, homeschoolers have made a choice not to. Uh, so, um, but how, how does that apply to the fundamentals? Uh, you know, reading, writing, math. Well, if, if, if a child doesn't like math. I'll tell you a story about uh, a kid who didn't like math, math or wasn't interested in, in learning um, algebra. He was interning for an organization as a teenager, and he was unschooling at the time, meaning he was just homeschooling and studying what he was interested in. Uh-huh. And he was never interested in algebra. He just hadn't taken it. And so then he decided to go to college when he was 16. But in order to get into the college he wanted to get into, he had to pass a test which included algebra. He had to pass algebra. So what he did is he studied algebra by himself for one week and aced the test. Okay. And not only that, taught other people. He understood it. Well, the key here is that if you're not forcing kids to learn stuff that they're not interested in, they retain that ability to learn what they need to learn at lightning speed. Okay, that makes sense, right? But if uh, at that point, so what, going back to that story of that particular kid, what math foundations did he have? Why, did, why does someone need to know? If they find they need to know something, they'll, they'll learn it. Well, no. a lot a lot of things are, I mean, most learning is, is progressive, right? And so um, one would think that if he had never done addition and subtraction, you know, the basics of fundamental fundamentals of math, that he'd be coming from a, a 
quite a deficiency to have to jump into algebra. So is that relative or is that? Well, again, if, if let's say if you're going to become a doctor, I want to know if I want to hire you as a doctor that you have passed certain tests and that you have certain kinds of proficiencies. I yeah. think reasonable to uh, to expect but i think that is when you've specialized already and people and you've made that choice to be a specialist that's a whole different story uh-huh. from when you're just learning in a general term what you want to learn and what you're interested in trying to figure out what you want to actually specialize in okay so, so you're talking about two different things i think so so if if, if you are at that stage of trying to figure out what you want to specialize in and you don't have exposure to a lot of different things. Um, is that, I mean, it, doesn't that leave a, a person in a, in a position of, without the exposure of not being able to choose something that? So who should determine what that exposure should be? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking this. <laughs> well, that's a key question because the old paradigm uh-huh. was that kids didn't know anything and that it was the teachers that had to decide what they needed to be exposed to, to be able to be successful in life. Well, that just doesn't work anymore because what you're being trained for today, maybe now won't exist 20 years from now. Yeah. And the things that were be important 20 years from now, no one even has a concept of them. You know, I mean, 20, 25 years ago, did people know about Facebook or Sure. No, I, I get the point. I, under, I understand yeah. things are, things are changing very quickly. The key is actually being able to have an education in which you have confidence in yourself as a learner. Okay. And you can be entrepreneurial and all that. And where you don't expect that somebody is going to have all the answers and you just have to regurgitate, you know, what they do. And one other thing that's kind of interesting is when you talk about homeschooling, we'll get to that, I suppose, later. But people say, well, what about socialization? Of course, you've heard that question a lot for the kids who are, you know, homeschooling. Well, of course, homeschool is called the S word. Um, and of course, it, it makes no sense. And every t- every study that's been done shows that homes- homeschool kids are perfectly well socialized. But think about what kids are being socialized to in a regular traditional school. They're being socialized in a classroom, in a situation that they will never experience again in their life. They will never be in a room with 20, 30 kids of their exact same age. Uh-huh. It's never gonna happen. So if you, and not only that, but the problem with being socialized to that is they kind of lose the ability to interact with people a lot older and a lot younger, whereas homeschoolers are always uh, exposed to those things. I see. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So going back to, I, I guess, what I, I am gathering from your point is that it's more about the ability to learn rather than the specific. Is, that's is, that, is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely crucial. That, that, and it's important that it not be extinguished and mm-hmm. a lot of the traditions of the traditional school tend to extinguish it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and I do know that, I mean, but I do study enough neuroscience to know that, that the love of learning comes from exploration and figuring, you know, figuring out, figuring out things on your own. So I'll tell you another related story related to what you asked. 
I'm, we're involved with alternative schools. Mm -hmm. uh, our organization is the Alternative Education Resource Organization, Arrow, And so we network educational alternatives around the world. Well, one of the first ones of this century was called the Modern School. And it was actually organized by Francisco Ferrer in Spain uh, back right at the turn of the century. And then, uh, well, it's a whole other, I can tell you all the things that happened with that, with them. But the fact is that there were some schools um, based on his work that were established in the United States. I met someone who went uh, to one of those schools uh, in 1911. He was 100 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and he was a famous, actually a famous painter and had 20 of his paintings uh, in the um, Metropolitan Museum. Uh, I met a woman who was a teacher at one of those schools. She was 96 at the time. And she had taught her own son who was never interested in learning how to read till he was 10. Okay. And when he was 10, he asked his mother to buy him a particular book. And she said, why should I buy you that book? You don't know how to read. And he said, okay, I'll learn how to read that book. Mm -hmm. Well, he learned how to read that book, of course, learned how to read. A few months later, they couldn't even stop him from reading. And his mother would say to him, well, why don't you go outside? It's a beautiful day, play with the kids today. And one of the other staff members there at the modern school said, well, you weren't pleased with him when he wasn't reading. Now you're not pleased with him when he is. But he went, he went on to become a very famous pediatrician practicing on Long Island here in Oyster Bay. Uh -huh. And I met another person at one of their reunions who didn't learn how to read till he was nine, and he was a psychiatrist. Uh, and so... Uh, and the, and the first one, uh, Jim Dick, he got he got a scholarship at Columbia University Medical School. So, yeah, I, I know that there's a lot of examples of really brilliant people that have come from those environments. I, you know, I think off the top of my head, I believe Larry Page and Sergi Perrin were Montessori, um, which is a similar thing to what you're talking about. Is that correct? Similar. All of those, Montessori, Waldorf, democratic schools, I can tell you more about them. Uh, homeschooling, unschooling, uh, they're all part of the, uh, the spectrum of schools that are involved with learner-centered education okay. that believe the kids are natural learners and they are not uh, top-down, curriculum-driven approaches. So, so my question is, is that, yeah, I know there's a lot, huge, tremendous success stories, but do you, do you ever see the example of the kid that you know, at 10 is still not, has no desire to read and just, just goes on and doesn't. I mean, does, does that happen? Or in math or? One of the most famous schools in the world uh -huh. that, uh, that, that was the pioneered democratic education and non-compulsory class attendance was Summerhill School in England, which still exists, by the way. Next year, they'll celebrate their 100th birthday. Uh -huh. They were started by A.S. Neal in 1921. And in all the years, they, I think someone said they could hardly remember anyone who ever graduated who wasn't a proficient reader, but they remember one particular guy. I met him uh, at a reunion. 
uh, that he really didn't read when he graduated, but then he discovered he needed it, learned it very fast. And he eventually became part of the IMF. He's a, he's a financial consultant now and doing really well. So that's the only example that I found from that school over a hundred years of okay. students that someone just literally never learned it. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to get, I, I know in, in today's world that um, there are a lot of parents that have had their children in public school and uh, are questioning it a lot. Um, but the, the things such as this, as unschooling or, or, or what you're presenting is, is very foreign to, to them. So I'm trying to get across as, you know, where the questions that they might have, what to look for, because um, I know a lot of people are looking for other approaches, you know. Is what has just happened in the last couple of months uh, is very extraordinary in terms of education. I mean, it's very tragic in terms of, of uh, the people who have died as a result of this. Uh, and when this first happened, uh, I could not um, quite realize what had happened in this sense. Uh, our, um, the name of our website is educationrevolution.org. So we have trying, been trying to promote the education revolution for the 31 years of our existence. That is education, making it available everywhere, learner-centered education, you know, and it, it's, it just amazed me when I realized, well, wait a second, we've just gone from three and a half percent of the people homeschooling to 96%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, where are the other where are the other 4%? Huh? Where are the other 4%? Who's not? Um they're they're maybe in places where they decided not to cancel school yet. I don't know. Okay. But, <laughs> I think I think but, it's 100%. But <laughs> but, but so the, the the thing is some people said at first, well that's not really homeschooling, you know. And I've seen that. Yeah. Then I realized, yes it is. Those people have kids. They were thrown into this situation. It wasn't something they necessarily chose, but they have kids and they're going to do the very best thing they can for those kids. Yes. And they're going to figure this out. And they've been figuring it out. Well, I see uh, something that, that parents before this and when this started, parents often feel uh, inadequate when it comes to educating their kids. And, and I see a lot of times from schools a pedantic attitude where you have to be a professional, yet parents are their first... They've been, they've been programmed yeah, I agree. By, by the traditional system to believe that they're not professionals, that they can't do this, that the school has to do this. They've been programmed as students to believe that from the very beginning. So the thing, the thing is, I've done several talks uh, to people around the world, parents who have been thrust into the situation. I did one that went to Ukraine that was accessed by 2,000 parents in Ukraine. But my main message to all of them, of them is the same, basically. Kids are natural learners. They bring with them their own curriculum. 
you do not have to make this curriculum for them. Not only that, you don't necessarily have to follow the curriculum that the school tells you to follow. That can get pretty old. The key is you need to follow the interest of your students and help them build on that as guides. That is how it works best. So tell me like on a, on a day, a day by day basis, how does that look? I mean, the, exactly. The child says this, the parent says that, I mean, how does that, how does that look exactly? Well, I think the answer is it doesn't look like anything on a day-by-day -day basis because it's different every day. Well, just, it's just, like, a, just any day. Any well, just, just like life is different every day. So, so uh, for example, a lot of our schools took the same approach, you know, that, that, that maybe some of these individual families uh, were taking. That is, they start the day with people making announcements. What are they, students saying what they would like to do, Teachers saying what they would like to offer, the, the students can choose which ones they want to go to. There are about 250 schools like that around the world. Some of them are public too, by the way. In Israel, there's about 25 of them that are public democratic schools. I'm talking about democratic schools. Okay, so, so there, there is some level of guidance then. Choices, those classes then meet where they're supposed to meet and do what they said they were going to do. Mm -hmm. So, so the parent, the individual parent doing the same thing, would would work with their kid in the same way. And now, of course, there's a lot of use of the internet, but the parents are probably more sophisticated about how to find information. They can work with their kids, uh, as I said, as guides to help them if they get stuck. But older kids probably can do most of this by themselves. So there's, so there is some guidance. There is there there are choices that the the kids are going to be pulling from or? Yes, of course. But I, I wonder if you are familiar with the work of Sugata Mitra. No, I'm not. Sugata Mitra was a guy, he's Indian background. He was, uh, when he was uh, running, he was an IT guy. But he was in a slum in India and he just had this feeling about the kids outside. And he was curious about what would happen if he just simply stuck a computer in the wall outside where his office was and just let the kids see if they could figure it out. And in a lot of cases, they didn't even speak English. And so much of it was English, you know. Came back later, three months later, they knew everything about using the computer. They also had taught themselves English. And they could do very sophisticated things with it. That's not and surprising so, at all. Yeah. So He's built on that uh -huh. and, and has something called school in the cloud now, you see. Uh, and and, and the, the adults that are involved are basically, as I said, in this situation, guides if they get stuck or need encouragement or whatever. Okay. Okay. It's making, making a little sense now then. Okay. So then in those... Um, so a learner-centered approach to curriculum development simply the, the the child i think we've pretty much covered that but it... well you see the thing is something amazing has happened and what's amazing is what we already knew could happen and that is the kids and the parents have been at this now long enough that they've begun to see 
hey, wait a minute. My kid is doing some pretty creative things. I didn't realize that he or she could do that. And okay. wow, they're really interested in this and they're just spending a lot of time learning it, and they're really, really good at it. And gee, they're doing a lot of reading and, and so on and so on. And so more and more parents that have experienced this are, are number one, thinking, well, I don't want to just put my kid back or they may not even send their kid back. Number two, if they do, they want the school to take a different approach. They yeah. want them to take a more learner-centered approach, working on building on their students' interests. And by the way, we have a think tank that is part of our organization that's now meeting every week to, to, to help the public schools, when there's a return, come up with structures that will help them figure out how to deal with this brave new world. Can you tell us about some of the suggestions that are coming out of that? I'll give you a few examples. Yeah. In California, because there are so many homeschoolers now, they every district in California has something called independent study. So this is basically homeschooling that's part of the public school system. Mm -hmm. And the, there are teachers that are there as resources for the parents, for the students. They sometimes will, will occasionally do some home visits. They're, the schools are actually available as resource centers for the students. They can be involved with it. They can be on a team if they wanted to and so on. Even take a class there. So that's a whole new approach. And there are other states that are doing this, but California was the one that I think pretty much pioneered this. So that's one example. Okay. Another is something that happened in the early 70s in public schools called Schools Within Schools. And that was that schools set up sometimes self-contained classrooms in which the students could even make decisions democratically about what happened in those classrooms and they still my local school district has one that dates from 1971 and brookline massachusetts is a school within a school that dates from about the same era so these could be recreated for those parents that are saying hey i want my kid in a more in a different situation that's more like what we just did third thing is that when kids go back uh, it they're not, it, we may not have solved this whole problem with the virus. And so there needs to be more decentralized approach. Schools need to look at themselves now more as resource centers where kids can go around and get information and help and use the resources of the school. So that's another thing is schools as resource centers. Another kind of more uh, specific example of a potential problem is some people are saying, well, teachers over 60 shouldn't be uh, encouraged to go back. They, they could be vulnerable. Well, there are going to be a lot of families that don't necessarily want to send their kids back. Those teachers could teach those kids. Mm -hmm. see, they could continue this as an option, as an option. And uh, by the way, last week, kids went back to school in Quebec. Oh, wow, okay. 
and it was very interesting. I we had to see this was part of our discussions. We just had a discussion today about this with our think tank, and we found out from the people in Canada that this had happened. Well, what happened is less than half the kids went back, uh, and so the schools are continuing to offer home education for the ones who want it. In some cases, uh, be a school of a hundred kids and only one went back. Yeah, that, that makes sense, right? So, so we're seeing these changes. These are some of the structures that right, we now. Okay, so but let's go back one second. Why, why are the kid? Why are the parents not sending them back? Is it because of fear of well, the virus, or is, or are they realizing that there there might be a better way? Both, I'm sure. Okay, I don't know how that breaks down. Uh huh. Do you have a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child, and with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. So I like the, the paradigm of what you were saying as schools as resource centers. Um, that, that's making more sense. So kids would be more exploratory in, the, in that. What variety of resources do you think that schools could provide if that was what they went to? Yeah, I mean, 
Well, I mean, that, that, that's a list of some of them, and we're going to continue on with some of these ideas. We're going to try to continue developing them. One of the members of our think tank is a superintendent of a Long Island school district. Okay. And he wants to start applying all these things. He even used the education revolution uh, from our organization for editorial in Newsday, the Long Island newspaper saying, our kids deserve an education revolution. That was the headline. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, is, is, is going to happen. It's beginning to take hold. Well, how about the transition period? I mean, we still got standardized testing in place and, and all that. So these kids that, you know, say, say a school was able to do that school-wide, that's going to conflict with what's going on pretty badly, isn't it? With the, with the standardized testing requirements. You know, that. that's, a whole, that's a whole other subject, the whole idea of standardized testing, and we discussed it to some extent. Uh-huh. And, and I think, yes, the standardized testing does interfere with the paradigm that we've been talking about. Well, it's the polar opposite, I think. Yeah. The interesting thing is most of the independent alternatives that we're involved with uh, don't use standardized testing. Now, 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 some schools do, but only in the sense that if a parent or, t- or particularly if a student is curious where they stand against the norm in reading or in com- or whatever, any of these things, math, they could ask for a test like this. That's not a problem. And also, some schools evaluate themselves by seeing how the kids are doing, but they don't use these tests as a way of grading the students. That that makes sense. I was just speaking in terms of um, schools not being able to get their their typical funding in that if they weren't submitting to the standardized. Let's talk about Long Island in that respect because it's very interesting. Some, many, many parents on Long Island have seen through the problems involved with these standardized tests. They've seen their kids sick when they go to school on, on days when there's going to be testing. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've seen the negative sides of this. So there's such a thing called, uh, uh, as the opt-out movement. And the opt-out movement is where parents have the right to opt out of having their kids take these tests. On Long Island, believe it or not, and to me it's stunning, half of the kids going to school on Long Island have opted out of taking these tests for the last several years. That's massive civil disobedience. It's unbelievable. So the tests are not even valid because they're not testing everyone. They don't know who's opting out. And so then you see it's a whole other thing to go into, and this would be a long discussion. Why, where do those things come from? Why are they there? Who put them in place and why? And the fact is, it has almost nothing to do with education. When they give these kids the tests, they don't even give the teachers and the students the results so they could learn from them. They're just useless. Oh, they don't. Okay. So yeah. it's... It, the so overall no. results, but the individual, would they go, go back and see what they missed? Nah. Yes, that is useless. <laughs> Absolutely. Useless. Okay. Right. Oh, that's where you... I got you. Okay. 
Interesting. Tell me, hey, tell me about the documentary, uh, documentary about butterflies thing that you did. Uh, the butterfly, oh, you mean, uh, yeah, about butterflies is an organization in India that uh, works with homeless working children. And so it, I, I met a kid at one of our conferences in New Zealand who was living in a train station, homeless, on his own. And, but he was part of this butterfly organization that services kids like that. And so the woman who was the director brought him to this conference and I got to, to meet him there. An amazing kid, among other things, he's a union activist for student unions. Uh -huh. uh, and so uh, I was very curious if I ever have, had a chance to go there to go see butterflies. And I finally got to do it when we had a conference there in India. And I went uh, there a day uh, on the way over and a day on the way back. And I did a documentary. If you go to the Arrow website, which is educationrevolution.org, and you go to our list of member schools, and you go to India, you will see butterflies. And under the link to their organization would be the video that I took interviewing those kids there. And, and it was quite amazing. You had kids even nine years old living on their own who would never miss a day of the school they had there. Really? That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, can I have to check that out? Okay, so let's, let's jump to um, homeschooling. What, what's, parents are, are thrust into it. What's the most important things that they need to know right now about homeschooling? I already said the most important thing is don't stress about this because your kids are natural learners. And it's even important for you to know that if you start out taking this approach of just listening to them and building on their interest, that at first they will probably want to do nothing is a reaction to the experience they've had up to this point. Uh, we call it detoxing. <laughs> you know, in, in, in democratic and alternative schools, there's always a period of decompression, detoxing. It could be a year before all of a sudden, and this is an interesting thing, we'll kids that will say, oh, I'm bored. And our reaction to that is always, great. Now you know, you have to do it for yourself. So what do you want to do? And then they're <laughs> off. You see what I'm saying? I do, I do. So what, what, what's a parent going to do if, if that lasts a year, if that detox? Right. It doesn't matter. If you take your kid out of school and start homeschooling, it may take them a year for them to detox. You're lucky if it's only a few months. You'll still see some positive things happening. But then when things really begin to happen, you, it will blow your mind what kids are really capable of doing when you're building on their interests. So I could during, say many, yeah, many yeah. stories. Sure, sure. So during that time, a parent just does nothing at all? No, not at all. They can offer things. It's fine. They can offer things that may be interesting. Fine, you can go take them someplace. You can, if the if the pandemic is relatively oh. over, you can take them to the library or to a museum or whatever. You can do it virtually if it's not 
Yeah, so these are all kinds of things you can do. But I'll give you just one example of a kid who went to that school, Summerhill, that I told you about, where nobody had to go to any classes. And I met a kid back when I was visiting there. He was about 12 at the time. And he liked, he liked reading Stephen King books and liked music and stuff like that. He eventually uh, graduated or left Summerhill when he was 16. He didn't go to college. Uh, he went to a Zen monastery in Japan. That's where he wanted to go. Then he went to New Hampshire, where his mother lived, and he uh, had a job, got a job to organize the papers of a philosopher who was donating them to Harvard. Harvard became so impressed with him that they gave him a job as an adjunct professor of philosophy. But he had no high school diploma and had never been to college. <laughs> they eventually offered him a full scholarship to Harvard, which he took and finished that. They wanted him to go on to graduate school, but his wife-to-be was Bangladeshi and she was in England. So he figured he's going to go to England, which he did. Went to the London School of Music, which was his interest at that point point and they had a contest to invent a new musical instrument when he showed them this instrument which was like a piano with flexible notes where you could go higher or lower Yamaha said oh this is not a contest anymore we want to buy this from you and he said no thank you and went ahead and has actually developed his own company to produce this thing uh, which is called the Seaboard, and is now in music stores all over the world. Very nice, very nice. So I... Um, that that just, it gives you an idea what you can do Yeah. if you follow your own interest and get off the track. And it's not a linear course. It's not a linear direction. By the way, he has something like $100 million worth of financing. Excellent. Yeah. No, but I mean, the, the progression of, of education in this matter is not linear. It can jump around considerably then. Absolutely. Okay. And the key is, if you still have your ability to learn naturally, anything you need, you're just going to learn. Sure. 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 Yeah. Um, I'm seeing uh, a consensus among hom homeschoolers uh, that... What is learned in a regular school only takes about three hours per day in a homeschool environment. I think that's an exaggeration. It's probably much less. You think so? Yeah. Um, do you think that there's a lot of parents that are figuring that out right now? Oh, yeah. And I think they're very, even the ones who are using their school curriculum. Mm -hmm. That school curriculum is only an hour and a half or so a day. Okay. You know, they, they, they're not, these teachers are not sitting there for, for, for six hours every single day to, no, it's not happening. So uh, the, everyone now understands that. A lot of it's busy work, kind of productive stuff. And by the way, you know, we, we have a conference every year and we're going to have one this year. This will be the first time we've ha ever had a conference that is, uh, that is virtual. And any parent that's listening to this, any teacher, anybody, any student could go to this conference and meet all kinds of people all over the world 
And the nice thing about this, because it's virtual, we have presenters from all over the world, from South Africa, from, from Russia, and so on, uh, and find out more about this kind of education. Well, it seems to me that, and, and we'll definitely put that information in the, in the links below, Jerry, so that people can get to that. But the, one of the, it seems to me that in today's world, where now virtual learning is becoming very popular, that that would lend itself to what you're doing quite well, because if you have some very obscure interest, you can probably find an educator in that interest somewhere. Every, every kid now knows, I mean, every kid now knows that if they have a question that they want answered, they don't just wait till they can talk to their teacher about it. They just Google it, yeah, you know, yeah. and, sure. and, and they, they know that. See, that in itself has begun to revolutionize education, but it's been hard for the education system to figure out how to catch up to it. Uh, so they just do things the way they've always done them. And, you know, it's just very counterproductive. And the teachers know it. Good teachers know it. Parents so know it. But the, the problem is that we were all programmed to believe that that's the only way you should learn. Yeah. So this is happening organically anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We've, we've talked about uh, quite a bit about where education may go. Um, what else, is there anything else that you see as long-term effects? Well, that's a very interesting question. Of course, nobody seems to be able to predict anything. Either who is going to predict this? Not me, you know. So, uh, so, but I did write something up. We have a weekly e-newsletter. It's free mm -hmm. that our organization puts out. You can sign up on it uh, for it on any page of our, of our uh, website. And the, um, in, and I wrote, I was asked to write, well, what did I see as the future of education? Well, I already realized that a couple of things I did wrong in that editorial. Uh, one of them was I thought that most everybody was just going to go back to the way things were. But it now it doesn't look that way. Uh, I thought maybe 10% would of people would decide to continue homeschooling as opposed to the three and a half we're doing it before. I think now it's going to be a lot more unless the public schools in self-defense maybe figure out how they can provide more services to people who want things in a different way. I think it's going to all be a big game changer. I think they will adapt. I think it's way, way past time to do this. Yeah, I'll tell you an interesting story. In the 20s and 30s, there was a phenomenon based on the work of John Dewey called progressive education. And those kids going to progressive schools, a lot of those schools still exist. There, there, are, there are quite a few of them all over progressive schools based on experiential learning and that sort of thing. And they mostly didn't have grades. So the colleges wanted to know, well, how do we compare those kids to the right kids coming out of other schools? So they did a study on this called the eight-year study. Mm -hmm. A result of that eight-year study was that those kids in every single measure excelled over the other ones. They did better in college and they did better working afterwards, all that stuff. And what happened is, so people thought, well, that's gonna be what we're gonna do. Education system's gonna change. Guess what happened? 
World War II, kind of stopped everything in its tracks. And it pretty much got frozen. And the teachers unions, unions came along. A lot of things changed. And everything kind of just got frozen the way it was at that time. And it's still that way. Do you know the subjects that are taught in school now, right now for the most part? The people who came up with those subjects, it was called the Committee of Ten in 1900. They're still the subjects people are teaching, the main right. subjects. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that what's ha going to happen is now this change that's so long ago overdue will happen. And teachers, many good teachers want to see this change happen. Many good administrators want to see this happen. Now there's going to be many millions of parents that want to see this happen. Right, right. And, and you think that there's some level of adaptability in the schools where they're going to be capable of going in this direction? Uh, yes. And for example, if they do the kind of thing that they did in California, this independent study, uh, this will basically redefine public education as an option. It's interesting that when this first came out in California, many regular homeschoolers said, oh, we can't trust that. They're going to try to push them in the direction of going back to the school and all that. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. It really didn't happen because the schools didn't want to alienate those people because they knew they could just decide to opt out of it. Right, right, good. So say a parent is um, really seriously considering homeschooling but they know they're going to go have, have to go back to work at some point. Is that, what do they do? Well, I see, this is a fairly new phenomenon that's begun to happen. And, you know, I have an online course for people who are starting new alternative schools. Okay. Uh, and again, they can find out about that on, on our website. It's, it runs every year from September to January. It's a long thing and it's all, totally online. Uh, so there's a, there's a dedicated website. Uh, so, so they could co-op something like that with other parents in their area, is that? Well, that's exactly what's happening, you see. That's what I was going to say, that, that now par pa parents are getting together setting up homeschool resource centers. Okay. And this enables people to be working. And it's the interesting thing is, and especially in a lot of countries, where there's a problem with the traditional system and it'd be hard to start a regular school, but where homeschooling is legal, we encourage them to start homeschool resource centers as a way of getting going. And they've done this, but it also happens in the United States all over too. Some of the best schools and programs around New York that we've helped people were actually are technically still homeschool resource centers, you see. And, and, and homeschooling is legal in every state in the United States. What's interesting, it's illegal in almost, it's legal in almost all countries, but there are a few exceptions. Germany, we know. But how many people knew that it's illegal in Sweden? That's odd. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, in, and in the Netherlands. So anyway, that's a whole other long, interesting story. What? Can you give me a one... Uh, 30 seconds of why it's illegal there? <laughs> uh, in Germany, I think they were concerned about the fact that a lot of homeschoolers were fundamentalist Christians. Okay. Uh, but the funny thing about that is even the Christian homeschoolers, it's a different paradigm. 
and I met many people who were Christian who, uh, homeschoolers who were just fine and got all the benefits of homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a different story in different places, you know, yeah. as, to, as to why th this is the situation. I see. I see. So this is, I think, going to be interesting to a lot of parents. Um, I think a lot of parents are really searching for now realizing that they can take some responsibility of their parent for their child's education. Um, where do they go from here? Where do, where do they well, learn more about it, this? You know, if you if you know the answer to that, you know, if anybody knows the answer, we. No, I mean, as far as how do they learn more about what you're what well, you're talking about? Well, of course, if they want to learn more about their choices, let's say people are beginning to go back to school, and you don't want to send your kid back to the regular public school, so we have on our on our website a list of uh, alternative schools okay. all over the world. Okay. So they can look at that and, and find something near them. Some people contact me because they want to move somewhere where there's a good alternative school. And they do a consultation, you see. So that's one of the things you can do. But it's not just democratic schools. We have a separate list of, of democratic schools. But that whole spectrum of learner-centered schools that I told you, there are four or 5,000 Montessori schools okay. you know, in the United States alone, you yeah. see. So there are options out there. There are many, many, see, there are undoubtedly homeschool groups near where you live, and you can find them. And, okay. you can, and you can find out what the laws are in your state and so on. So there are resources out there. So more than likely, parents are not going to have to start from scratch. There's going to be plenty of resources available. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, so, uh, so, th so this is how you can find out, find the information that you need. So... You could, of course, keep on homeschooling. You can homeschool through a, an umbrella organization that helps provide curriculum for you. Now, there are some fairly traditional ones, which I don't like very much because they try to recreate school at home. Uh -huh. But there are others like Clon Lara in, in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, Global Village School in California that have people all over the world that are homeschooling through them, and they're very flexible, and they can even provide help for unschoolers. Okay, very good, very good. And what about uh, what about funding? Is there uh, is it different across different states as far as I know there was talk of credits for for homeschooling and that is, is that is well, that... it varies uh, from place to place. Some people think that homeschoolers should be provided funding if the yeah. kids not in the local school. Some, uh, and so it, it varies from place to place. The reason why in California they wanted to set up independent study is the local school districts could get the state aid if those kids were technically part of their school. Oh, you see, right, right. that's why it's important for them to do right. this. I think this is basically true in every state, really. Uh, and so, so that is what, another example of it. Uh, so, uh, right. I've noted. See, here's an important thing to understand: that education in the United States is given to the states. It is not a federal thing. There are federal projects and so on, and they can try to wave a stick, uh, you know, a carrot at you and say, "Oh, you, if you do this, you can you can have this." But it's really the states that can make the laws about education. Right, right. Every and state has a different law about homeschooling. Every it's really easy, for example. In places like Texas, it's harder in New York. You know, it varies. Yeah, I've noticed uh, 
of being a service provider, our organization has been a service provider for homeschooling. And we're in California, and I've noticed that there are some homeschooling charter schools, like you talked about, that do uh, provide funding. They could come to our classes and, and then others that don't, and in the, within the same state. So, yeah. so uh, it, it, it really varies. For example, in Massachusetts, it, it varies by school district. So, so you see, uh, it's, every state has different laws. Another organization that we work with is called OutSchool. Have you heard of it? No. Uh -uh. So OutSchool provides classes for kids, mostly homeschoolers. And they, they uh, when this all started, they, they were pretty big. They had 8,000 students uh, and they had 1,000 teachers. And what happened is they went from 8,000 to 80,000 students in this mm -hmm. short period of time and they're looking for thousands of teachers and they would like our teachers because they are learner-centered approach and the founder of OutSchool is going to be a keynoter for our conference and they're also a sponsor. Nice, nice. Okay, good. So it sounds like there's a, a, a little bit of research that parents need to do um, but they can find a lot of that on, on your website. Is there anything that we have not covered that's important for parents yeah, have you got another week? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just give them the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> so the key is don't freak out. Okay. You know, don't stress. You can do this. Your kid's a natural learner. One of the reasons why I, I, I did what I did in India is because kids are natural learners. This is the ultimate test of it. The parents are not even in the picture. You see, and they were doing pretty well. Yeah. So, uh, with with the help, of course, of, of butterflies as a, as an organization. So, so I think that this is happening all over the world. I think we're in the midst of seeing a change, the likes of which nobody could have imagined and nobody could have predicted, and it'll be quite amazing to see where it goes. I think that you are correct. <laughs> it's in, everybody's watching. So. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Jerry. It's, it's been a really interesting interview, and uh, I think this is opening up a lot of possibilities for people. So we will put links to your website below and send people your way to find out more about this. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.